This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. And on June 14, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker, so God gave us Trump. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, fix this country, work all day, fight the Marxists, eat supper, then go to the Oval Office and stay past midnight at a meeting of the heads of state. So God made Trump. I need somebody with arms, strong enough to rustle the deep state, and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to ruffle the feathers, tame, cantankerous World Economic Forum, come home hungry, have to wait until the first lady is done with lunch with friends, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon, and mean it. So God gave us Trump. That's a video that Donald Trump has shared on his social media. Is it satire, or is it serious? Well, the New York Times is certainly taking it very seriously. They don't see a possibility of satire. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So what media fact checker would you trust to call the video's creators and attempt to publish some facts on that? Absolutely none. And I say that simply because in the current state of American niche media, the fact checkers are automatically assumed to be think tank, nonprofit advocates of the Democratic Party. That's just the assumption. So A, I wouldn't trust them to answer the question, but also let me stress this. B, I would not trust the hot, hip, internet meme creators who made the video, I wouldn't trust them either to give a straightforward answer to what their intentions were. Because the simple fact of the matter is they win either way with the coverage and with the reactions to it. They win with a small handful of Trump supporters who may or may not with kind of a wink-wink thing, like it and take it semi-seriously, and they win with the complete over-the-top negative reaction that then shows up in the mainstream press, which that turns into a joke for most or a large percentage of Trump supporters. So I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, where have I seen this kind of tone-deaf attitude toward Trump folks. And I thought back to this. So if you ask the question, was it sincere or satire that Trump played this video at the start of Iowa rallies, some of them, and he sent it out on his, frankly, small social media platform, Trump, Truth. what is it called? Truth. I think it's just called truth. What I was thinking, I flashed back. Do you think that Donald Trump was sincere when he opened his rallies years ago with the Rolling Stones, recording of the Rolling Stones 
performing, you can't always get what you want. And, you know, and everybody went, well, why did he use that? Was it a satire that some people thought he could walk on water and do whatever they wanted him to? Sometimes you just might try, you'll get what you need, said the Rolling Stones. Is that Trump saying, well, I can't give you everything, but I can try to give you what you truly, truly need, which is from the Trump world's perspective, someone who who gets you, someone who understands you, someone who won't attack your way of life. Of course, the Rolling Stones responded by doing everything in the world they could to stop him from using that music. But as I tried to think my way into this, and I, and I read some of the coverage, including just an absolutely, in my opinion, tone deaf, dead serious piece in the New York Times, which took this thing completely as a Trump-created message to his Christian followers that this video was dead serious. Not a single line in it questions whether or not it might have had satirical intent. MSNBC wrote a piece which it had some interesting things to say. Here's where I started from. I think this is where I'd like our listeners to start their contemplation of this bizarre episode. If this video had been shown as a cold open on Saturday Night Live, would the audience have laughed? Would they have assumed it was satire? And why would they have assumed it was satire, assuming that it was created by the the writers of Saturday Night Live, why would they laugh? Now, I I know you love when I put you on the spot like that, but do you think people would have laughed at it on Saturday Night Live? And if so, why? I think it, they would have pegged it for satire from the very beginning, and it would have gotten laughs. It would have killed, to use the common language. They would have assumed that it was a satire of Trump's evangelical supporters. That to some degree, if you flash way back to the Obama era, which is not way back if you're my age, but anyway, you get what I'm saying. When conservatives took all the messianic language used in the Obama campaign, that he was the one, that he was the light bearer, that he was all of this, the Oprah language, that I'm going to get out of my pew and come support him today. And if they took all of that kind of politics meets the matrix meets gospel rally stuff that went on there. The right took that, edited it together, and used it as a satire of Obama, thinking that people would both laugh at it, but they would also point at it and go, yeah, that's what they think. So the right did it back then, and nobody thought that was funny. Now, I agree with you. I think that if you had put it on on Saturday Night Live, folks would have laughed like crazy because they would have assumed that it was satire. The MSNBC piece, which is written by Guthrie Grace Simmons, he's the author of a book called Just Faith, Reclaiming Progressive Christianity, and he says it's a bizarre video, even by Trumpian social media standards. And then jumping down, he says, out of context, I would have thought the ad was satire. 
the core message of God Made Trump video is true, at least as far as Christian theology, God Made Trump. What's missing is theological context. God made everyone. He made every political opponent, journalist, American who died in war, and former presidential aide whom Trump has disparaged. God made the Christian supporters of Trump he mocked behind their backs. And he's referring there to the private tapes where Trump mocks some of his own evangelical and Pentecostal supporters for their religious attitudes. This is a hall of mirrors parable for the level of discourse we have in American politics right now. And I've got some other options here we can discuss, but I have to admit I didn't hear this because I don't watch a lot of politics right now because it drives me crazy. But I think my hunch is that this is a satire by the memes creators of what the left thinks of Trump's supporters. And thus it's an attempt to use a, a phrase from one of our, our shared friends, Mark Hemingway. It falls into that kind of own the libs category. And I was so kind of lost in this, I, I sent Mark an email and he sent back a a lengthy thought. I, I wanted a, a sentence or two. He wrote, sent back like a massive kind of tome, like 600 words, 500 words on what he thought was going on here. And I think his key point is that I get the impression he thinks it's an own, own the libs overstatement. That we live in an age where you can't trust the powers that be to understand anything about the people who would want to vote for Trump and thus you make this satire of the people who are going to fail to realize it's satire or satire of the people who don't want to admit that they know it's satire. <laughs> this just feels so confusing but that's what I get out of the coverage and I think Mark is right. I, my hunch is that he's got it right there. This is they just don't get us. This is a perfect, this is going to be a perfect illustration. We're going to make this video. They're going to go crazy. And them going crazy will be a dog whistle to our supporters that these guys don't have any sense of humor. They don't get you. And in the end, they hate you. I know that's a really complex equation. But that's what I think happened here. And I think that's what Mark Hemingway is saying. And I think it's a combination, I read what Mark wrote, combination of owning the libs and then laughing behind their back because they're not going to get the joke. Yeah. That sounds like what it, you're saying. Yeah, Mark wrote, the God made Trump bit seems to be sneering at these attacks on religion. But it also works on a couple of other levels. In the absence of any transcendent moral beliefs beyond false promises of utopia here on earth, Democrats, progressives have made politics an idolatrous God. I mean, they make fun of the seemingly religious devotion Republican voters have with Trump. I would say some seemingly religious have for Trump. But does anyone remember, and he goes into all the language about Obama, that Obama was the word made flesh, according to a New York Times columnist. And I'll give you one more statement from Mark. And then there's simply the matter that the left has built up both Trump and the supposed fanatical level of devotion to him in their minds, that they simply can't imagine that in terms of corruption, 
preserving constitutional norms and advancing their preferred policies. And he lists a whole bunch of them. Voting for Trump is the rational thing to do given the alternatives. I think our listeners probably remember that I'm not a Trump voter. I'm also not a Biden voter. I have trouble seeing this through politics. What I care deeply about and wrote about it in that essay we've discussed at Religion and Liberty for the Acton Institute, I care deeply about what this whole drama says about the state of discourse in political coverage of media and political coverage of religion, and even to some degree the role that humor plays in American politics. Because the simple fact of the matter is when you get down to it, if this was written as some sort of subtle satire, it's kind of like a lot of the criticism of the Babylon Bee, in which the left basically says the right can't do real humor. They can only hate and attack people. But since we control, or we are the dominant voice in late night humor and satirical television specials and channels, when we do vicious satirical humor, like there's now a, a satire of the satire that's come out called God Made a Dictator. And a lot of people will laugh at that, but it's perfectly normal for people to be viciously satirical about Trump and some of his supporters. I've always believed Trump is a target-rich environment for that sort of thing. But do we really live in a country where only the left gets to do political satire? where if anyone on the right half of the country, and I really do see our country is divided almost 50-50 on these issues, if anyone in the right half does this stuff, it can't possibly be funny because they have to be doing it for all the wrong reasons. Whereas if the left does it, they can only do it for the correct reasons. Recently on Twitter, I've tried to crunch this down into a formula that kind of sums up this media culture. This formula works, by the way, for media on the left and the right. Once they've defined who they support and who are their enemies, the formula is bad people cannot do anything good. And good people, people we consider good, Good people cannot do anything bad. And that's really the formula that works in way too much of our media right now. So, Terry, we know that the New York Times, just take them as emblematic. Don't get the joke, can't take the joke while being the butt of the joke if your speculation about the satirical nature of this thing is true. And I would point out that Donald Trump, perhaps half of his shtick is aimed at the same effect in the mainstream media, the things he says are calculated in order to get this effect. Why can't, in the case of Donald Trump, I can't think of any other public figure that's not connected to Donald Trump in some way that has this kind of effect on level-headed, or at least allegedly level-headed, news people. Do you think the readers of the New York Times want an intelligent discussion of whether this was satire that's intended to make the readers of the New York Times mad? No. I agree. 
it would have been possible with just one or two phone calls to have found out more information about the, is it the Dilly meme team? D-I-L-L-E-Y. The Dilly meme team, the producers who call themselves Trump's online war machine, they made it into the New York Times piece. There's two paragraphs about them. But nowhere in this is there a hint that they understand these people are mocking attitudes toward Trump and to the people who vote for Trump. Let me just read you a, a section of, of what's in the Times piece. The group's leader, Brendan Dilley, described himself as a Christian and a man of faith, but says he has never read the Bible and does not attend church. He has said that Mr. Trump has God-tier genetics, unquote. And in response to outcry over the God Made Trump video, he posted a meme depicting Mr. Trump as Moses parting the Red Sea. Well, once again, the whole image of Trump as Moses parting the Red Sea is a laugh, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a satire. What percentage of over-the-top Trump supporters are really thinking, especially after his first term, that Donald Trump is some sort of Moses who could magically part the Red Sea? The Red Sea being, I guess, the maybe it's a blue sea, not the Red Sea that he's parting the blue sea of American institutions, media, etc. But the article never crosses over that line into saying that maybe a guy who doesn't go to church and hasn't read the Bible could be making fun of some religious attitudes about Trump and having that fun, knowing that the left We'll take it all seriously, and it will just blow up into another media storm that tells Trump voters, well, to quote Ronald Reagan, there they go again. I would have thought that could have found its way into a New York Times story about the origins of this video. Every story that I've read about the video, I end reading the story. And if listeners follow up at Get Religion when I write about this, if anybody knows of a story that includes a lot of material about the creation of this video and actual interview material with the people at the meme team, I'd love to see it because when I read these stories, that's the first thing I wanted to know. Basic, journalistic, factual material about when the meme was created, who it was created by, and if you asked them what they were trying to do, how would they answer the question? Doesn't that strike everyone as fairly obvious journalistic material? Yet I can't find answers to that anywhere. And it seems to me rather basic stuff to ask. I don't want to get too meta on this, but... I we're already in <laughs> real deep on the meta Hall of Mirrors stuff here. Well, it, it's an obvious spin off of Paul Harvey's God Made a Farmer, which yeah, was based on a speech, the famous speech he gave in 1978. Paul Harvey is a legendary broadcaster, but also a legendary conservative broadcaster, and in some cases, friends with Joseph McCarthy and right. J. Edgar Hoover in his earlier days. And I think 
when that original video started circulating, recirculating again, God Made a Farmer, it was remixed a couple times. It was not the kind of video that New York Times readers really would have enjoyed. And they really no, didn't no. like Paul they didn't like Paul Harvey either. Yeah, so, they would have considered it sophomoric and simplistic and overly emotional. And so the is way- there a level there that the meme creators are tapping into that the original video, the one that this is kind of spun off of, would also greatly irritate New York Times That's, readers. But see, there's another great question for the people who created the video. You know, what, I mean, those people obviously knew about the Paul Harvey video, and they obviously knew about public attitudes left and right about Paul Harvey. So they were intelligent enough to know that that was a prime ground for another trip into the culture war over these types of videos and sentiments about America and farmers and red zip codes and small town America and people in pews with their hands folded or Catholics with rosaries. Think of all the images that popped to mind if you were going to create satire about this. And these are the exact images that Saturday Night Live would draw on that well. They would be intelligent enough to do satire based on Paul Harvey. So why isn't anyone actually interested in who made the video and why? That's, to me, a very basic question. There's one other thing that I want to point out again. The Christian Broadcasting Network, a conservative Christian broadcasting network with, of course, its roots in the work of the late Pat Robertson, they did a piece that included this controversy, and they did something perfectly valid. They noted that there were evangelicals offended by the video, and the evangelicals were tempted to think it was serious, or they were offended by the fact that there are Christian nationalist over-the-top elements of the Trump campaign, and that maybe they're even offended that Trump, truth statement here, has a vicious sense of humor that at times he can't control. And what I thought when I saw that is that the Christian Broadcasting Network was still onto something that our press can't seem to understand very well when a controversy about this video and stuff like it. When they divide evangelicals, that is more evidence that evangelicals are not united in their worship of Trump. The fact that a video like this causes tensions among people who are clearly conservative Christians and evangelicals, that's proof, again, that they're not standing in monolithic unity with everything about Trump. But at the end of that, you have to ask the question again. In the American binary system where, who knows, maybe we'll have third parties this time with more clout. I mean, if we had a Robert F. Kennedy, Joe Manchin ticket running against the Democrats and against Trump, the third party world could get interesting this time around. But when you look at it in a binary, if you're a conservative evangelical who wants to protect religious liberty and parental rights and wants to see bills passed that make it illegal for gender selection procedures in the preparation of embryos and 
gender transition procedures for people under the age of 18, all those pro-life and pro-family issues. If you're one of those people that really care about those, and you're presented again with Joe Biden versus Trump, and you walk into a voting booth, as uncomfortable as you are with Donald Trump, what are your options? And I say that again as a registered third-party voter. I don't think the press understands what these controversies say about the diversity and the debates inside evangelicalism in our political culture today. Do journalists understand that most creedal Bible-believing Christians believe that God did make Donald Trump and he also made Joe Biden and that whoever wins in 2024, it's God's will? I certainly don't think they understand that, and I certainly don't think they understand the degree to which serious Christians would say all of this pain reflects living in a sinful, fallen world in which hardly any of us have perfectly clean hearts, or as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the division between good and evil runs through the heart of every human being. I don't think there are many folks on political desks and newsrooms who are thinking at that level at all. And they love the divisions among evangelicals, but I don't think they realize what that actually means. You also wanted to mention this in connection to what you call the parallel controversy of the day, which <laughs> is a Babylon Bee post, another satirical site about Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. My own personal opinion is the joke in which after he endorses Trump, Trump is elected, and it has him wearing a 7-Eleven uniform and says he's been made the, the head of the White House 7-Eleven, which is, of course, a satire of the large number of Indians and people of other ethnic persuasions who end up running 7-Elevens. And this will immediately be seen as racist. My personal opinion is I didn't find the joke funny at all. But you know what? The minute I saw it, I immediately thought, is this a satire of Trump's attitude toward this fallen or now defeated candidate? I went right back into the same hall of mirrors. And that's, of course, what the Babylon Bee is all about. And they, a lot of people on Twitter, and now X, said, you know that Ramaswamy was laughing at this joke because he understood that it, you know, that it was a satire of a satire of a satire, and it was conservatives showing that they can be funny too, even about people in their own tent. To some degree, I'm tired of it, but oh my gosh, this was just Iowa. We're just getting started, and I have no idea the levels that some of this stuff is going to get to in this campaign. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to finding out. Kyle Although, Mann of the Babylon Bee was a speaker at a recent Issues Etc. Making the Case conference, and he started his address by running through headlines, first published by satirically by oh, Babylon yes, Bee, and yes. then, in, then in the actual press. And he said they have a, like a 75% prediction rate when it yeah. comes to satire. Yeah, their site, not the Bee when all they do is run things 
out of the real press is both hysterically funny and terrifying at the same time because they have a record of this. And by, by the way, I should, I should mention, of course, that Seth is a former student of mine at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, Florida. And we had run-ins back then about what's satire and what's news and what's this and what's that. And I've talked to him and he said he did, does remember me saying though, that in the internet age, there will be all kind of niche media created appealing to specific audiences and that they will succeed or fail to the degree that those specific audiences endorse them. So to some degree, one of my own mass media classes and its impression on a student mirrors, 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 a hall of mirrors. Some of my own classroom work two decades ago is now at one of the seeds of these controversies. What a small world and what a crazy world we live in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.